0: the title of this morning's message is Identity, Temptation, and Patience. Recently, we've been looking into the book of James and seeing how James's new identity as a bondservant of both God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation from whence James writes. We're going to quickly review some of what we've already seen in James and then continue in chapter 1. Chapter one, one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. We have seen that James understands the new birth reality. He understands that God himself begat us as a type of firstfruits of his redeemed creation, James 1, 18. Of his own will, he, God the Father, begat us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creation. We've also seen that James understands the gospel of grace, salvation is of grace so that it might be through faith in Jesus Christ. This gospel is also known as the perfect law, the law of liberty, James 1.25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And in the perfect law of liberty, our doings always begin with our believings, (laughs) believing in this wonderful freedom found in our new identity as both bondservants and sons of God in and through the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. We've also seen that James understands faith, believing what God says. (laughs) Uh, He understands that believing what God says then enables us to do what God says, James 2, 17 in the Weymouth translation. For just as a human body without a spirit is lifeless, so also faith is lifeless if it is unaccompanied by obedience. In other words, faith acts on what God says. We call it obedience. But what it really is is our believing in what God has said and in simply doing what God has said. I think sometimes we make a lot about obedience. I don't like the word obedience because it infers that it's hard. You don't want to, (laughs) you see, when we want to do what God says, we don't call that obedience. (laughs) When we don't want to do what God says, that's when we call it obedience. (laughs) But still, even when we know what God wants us to do and we don't want to do it, but we do it anyway because we trust him, it's still faith in action. Faith leads us to do what we believe. So in light of all of this, I want to talk to you this morning about the power of knowing our true identity in Christ and how this power enables us to deal better with temptations through patience. (laughs) Everybody loves patience, right? (laughs) Everybody loves temptations, right? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) And I want to begin in the first chapter of James in chapter one. Because this is our foundation, James's new identity. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. He's just reminding us of his new revelation of who God the Father really is through the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is now in relationship to them. And he's primarily writing to Jews, Jews who believe and Jews who don't believe. But the foundation is our new identity. Here, James reveals his new identity as a bondservant of both the Lord Jesus Christ and and Father God. Every human being who comes to faith in Christ receives a brand new identity. We are not what we used to be. We are not who we used to be. But when I received Christ at 10, I had no clue. I lived for 21 years just like a heathen. (laughs) Because I wasn't discipled. I didn't know what I had done. I didn't know what I received. I had no idea I was a completely new person. And the truth is we live out of what we know and believe. We are not what others tell us we are. We are not what our feelings tell us we are. We are not what our flesh tells us we are. We are what God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ tell us we are. And as God's bond servants, We are his, (laughs) he owns us. We are his prized and permanent possessions as dearly loved sons of God. Sons are both male and female. We are all sons of God. Being a son means you have the right of inheritance. We have equal right with Jesus. We are all sons. That's a position. (laughs) It's not a description of our gender. (laughs) So it says, he begat us, God the Father begat us. We are all sons. And we are all called to know who we are according to God and to express this relationship in our life. Since we are His and He is our Lord, we use that term a lot, the Lord said, the Lord did. Lord just means owner. (laughs) We don't always act like He's the owner. (laughs) Sometimes we act like we're the owner. (laughs) He has taken responsibility, though, of providing for us everything we need for life and godliness by grace through faith. Everything is already provided, purchased and bought and in storage, so to speak. (laughs) But it's only apprehended by faith. And so in light of this new identity as sons of God and bondservants, we are sons who serve, absolutely. Absolutely we can learn to do verse two easily. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Yay, temptations. (laughs) We have a lot of these right now with all the political stuff that's going on. But we know that our true identity and the truth about who we belong to and who we serve, because we know that we can do what this verse says. We can. We have to choose it. (laughs) that's why he's telling them to do it because we don't just do it automatically (laughs) we can choose to lead our thoughts into the place of faith which brings forth joy joy is a fruit of the holy spirit so we have to choose to command and lead our thoughts into the truth about what god says is true about us and about our circumstances in this verse these particular temptations are probably better understood as trials. And they refer specifically to the external pressures that come and try to pull us down from our high place of faith, which leads us into joy. And it tries to make us succumb to the unbelief and negativity of this world. We can believe what God says, which is always a good idea, or we can believe what the media says. Not a good idea. We can believe what God says, or we can believe what our past says we can believe what God says or we can believe what the enemy says. We can believe what God says or we can believe what our flesh says. (laughs) Let's choose God. (laughs) Let's choose to believe what God says. We can choose and command our thoughts into the place of faith where we believe what God says because he owns us. He's our Lord, our provider, and our Father. Nobody knows us like He knows us. And that's why He's the only one who has the right to tell us who and what we are. That's important. (laughs) We need to really know who and what we really are. Verse three, knowing this, and the word knowing here implies experience. (laughs) There's experiential knowledge. In other words, he's saying, I've done this myself. <laughs> I had to lead my thoughts into the place of faith and find the joy. So, knowing this, I can do that because knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, what does it mean to try? According to the Webster's 1828, one of the definitions means to act upon as a test. It's a test. What's going on in these words? All it does is it tests our faith. It tests our ability to command our thoughts. (laughs) But what's the purpose of a test? To show what you know and to put it into practice. Think of taking a math test in high school. (laughs) You can't just give them the right answer. They want you to show your work. They want you to show them that you understand how to solve this problem. You have to show what you know and put it into practice. That's what these diverse temptations do. They test us to show, give us opportunity to show what we know, who we know, and to put it into practice. When these diverse temptations, these external pressures and circumstances come along and tempt us to fall from the high place of faith down into worry and fear and despair, it's just a test. It's an opportunity to show what you know, (laughs) to show who you know, (laughs) and to put it into practice. So what is it that we know? We know that God is our good, good father, always. He's never bad. He's never mean. He's never angry. He's a good, good father. And Jesus is our good, good master, owner, and provider our caretaker, (laughs) the one who knows all the answers. We know God the Father and we know God the Son, and we can trust them in every situation. With our new identity as both a son of God, who has power and authority, and as a bondservant of God who trusts in the goodness and faithfulness of our master, we can choose to show what we know and to put it into practice. The trying or testing of our faith is simply an opportunity. To use our faith and to keep believing until we see our victory manifest. So if we're going to show what we know, who's going to see it? God, us, the world and Satan. Satan is the one who stirs up <laughs> stirs up circumstances and outward pressures from the world, to try to get us to doubt the goodness of our Father. It's Satan who wants us to doubt that God will make a way when there seems to be no way. It's Satan who wants us to let go of our promises and our answers to prayer. Satan doesn't want us to keep believing. Satan wants us to give up on God and ourselves and our future. So he interferes in our thoughts and in our circumstances hoping that we will fail the test (laughs) to stay in faith and to keep believing and to not cast away our confidence. We can see this truth in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. Paul is speaking to the Thessalonians regarding his plans to visit them. In 2.18 it says this, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But Satan hindered us, (laughs) Satan uses people, persecution, the government, and various other circumstances against Paul, Silas, and Timothy in order to stop them from continuing in their plans. Not just once, Paul says, but several times. Satan must have thought he was so smart. I just love when he thinks he's so smart. (laughs) Because he prevented Paul's missionary team from going to minister to the Thessalonians. But his interference doesn't stop God. Paul, instead of being with the Thessalonians physically and temporarily, sent them a letter (laughs) that would minister not only to the Thessalonians, but to the entire body of Christ and all the way into eternity. (laughs) Satan may have hindered Paul's original plan, but that didn't stop God and his plans. God knows how to make a way, even when it seems there is no way. Satan is still using people, persecution and the government and various other and sundry (laughs) circumstances against us in order to try and hinder God's plans for our lives. But we do not have to cast away our confidence just because we haven't yet apprehended our complete victory or our answer to prayer. In 1 John 5, 13 through 15, it says this, These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. What does he want us to know? That ye may know ye have eternal life. (laughs) You are in present possession of eternal life. And what else does he want us to know? That ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. What? (laughs) I'm writing to you because you believe on the Son of God. (laughs) I want you to know what kind of life lives in you. And I want you to continue to believe on the Son of God. Keep believing. Verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know He heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him even if we don't see it yet." That's a pretty big promise. <laughs> That's a pretty big promise. As far as it being according to God's will, it's better to understand it as according to God's covenant. Salvation, soteria. We are sozoed. We are saved. It means we're forgiven of our sins. We are delivered. We are redeemed. We have in our salvation package everything we need for life and guidance, safe, healed, delivered, protected, made whole and blessed. (laughs) It's all of those things. That's his will for our life. We don't have to worry about asking for things that are wrong. He would tell you, no, you can't have your neighbor's spouse. (laughs) No, I'm not going to help you rob a bank. He will be happy to tell you when you're asking amiss. (laughs) I'm not giving that to you. (laughs) So if we don't see in the physical realm, what we know we possess in the spiritual realm, what do we do? We keep believing on the name of Jesus, and we keep trusting in his faithfulness, not our own. (laughs) Our unfaithfulness does not disqualify us from God's faithfulness. It might take him longer to get stuff to us if we're being unfaithful, but it doesn't disqualify us. (laughs) We keep believing in his faithfulness and his goodness. Even when we are tempted to grow impatient, we keep believing in the faithfulness of God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We just keep trusting them. We keep believing in our new identity as dearly loved sons of God who listen for the voice and instructions of our master. I'm God's kid. (laughs) He's not going to abandon me. He's not going to forget about me. He's not going to say, oh, too bad. So sad you were naughty this week. Go to your room. Nope. (laughs) He doesn't deal with me according to my failures. He deals with me according to my Jesus. We get everything Jesus gets. We have everything Jesus has. Verse three, again, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, the testing of your faith worketh patience. This verse tells us that the testing of our faith worketh, (laughs) not produces. Some translations say trials produce patience. If that were true, every human being on the face of the earth would be patient. They're not. (laughs) They are mean and nasty. (laughs) Trials are an opportunity to use our faith. And faith produces patience. Patience is something that comes from God not from trials (laughs) okay so when you say worketh think worketh out (laughs) trials worketh out gives our patience a workout the holy spirit is the only one who provides us with patience and it's a gift now you have to remember patience is not the absence of feeling impatient you see that's what we usually pray for god to do god Make me not feel impatient, (laughs) okay? We're feeling impatient because we're looking at it the wrong way. Patience is actually the ability to endure, to continue, to be constant, cheerfully. (laughs) You can't be cheerfully without faith. (laughs) You have to have faith to enter into that joy to have that cheerfulness. It's only when we understand who we are, that we're God's kids, we're his bondservant, he has taken responsibility to take care of everything in our life, that when something comes along that we don't like, or that's hard, or something's not working properly, he's still working. (laughs) He's still involved. He never leaves us. So what trials actually do is provide an opportunity for us to employ our patience to be cheerful (laughs) in faith. We put it to work, we make use of it, because not all trials are short. (laughs) I wish all trials were short. Some of them last quite a long time. So we need to be patient. Sometimes it takes us a while to overcome certain things. So we need to employ our patience Make use of our patience, our cheerful continuance, so that we don't cast away our confidence. We don't give up on our promise or our answer to prayer while going through a storm or a trial. Romans 8:24 and 25 in the Weymouth translation says this, It is in hope that we have been saved, but an object of hope is such no longer when it is present to view. For when a man has a thing before his eyes, how can he be said to hope for it? But if we hope for something which we do not see, then we eagerly and patiently wait for it. And the word wait there means fully expect. In other words, if we only hope for or fully expect what's not yet manifested, (laughs) but in hope, confident, expectation of good. That's what hope means. Hope is not, I hope so. No. (laughs) Hope is confident expectation of good. Why? Because we are God's kids and we are God's bondservants. So he is responsible for us. (laughs) The context of this particular scripture is the redemption of our physical bodies. Our physical bodies were included in the purchase price of our salvation. So our bodies, belong to our master and owner, God. And here, Paul is reassuring his readers that even our bodies will be born again from the dead. Yay! (laughs) Our bodies will experience the same eternal life that our spirit man has already experienced. And that by knowing this truth, that our new bodies are truly in our future, even though we'd really like to have them now, We can wait. We can wait fully expecting their manifestation with patience, cheerful, hopeful continuance. Biblical patience is not a place of miserable irritation. When we feel miserably irritated, we're ask, we usually ask for patience. <laughs> but God can't give us something we already have. Fruit of the Spirit is patience, the ability to cheerfully endure. And we can cheerfully endure because we're not trusting in the circumstances. We're not trusting in our flesh. We're trusting in Him. Faith brings patience. Biblical hope has assurance. (laughs) There's no doubt in biblical hope. Biblical hope has assurance that God has already provided for me in my future. This particular passage in Romans here, he's telling them about the things that are yet to come, things that are in the future. Well, my new body isn't just in the future. (laughs) Okay, that's not the only thing that he has provided. He has provided for my future period. He's the Lord, he's the landowner, he's the one who purchased me and then adopted me. (laughs) He's the one that has responsibility to lead us and guide us into all truth. It's about believing in how good he is. He provides for me, not only for my eternity, but for my tomorrow, and for my next day, and for my next year, and for the year after that. God has already provided those things in my future that He wants for me. I just have to walk and do what He tells me to do, based on the fact that I trust Him. This kind of hope, this confident expectation of good, knows. It knows biblical hope knows what's in their future good things (laughs) god has provided good things now satan will try to hinder and upset and provoke doesn't matter good things (laughs) i'm having good things jesus (laughs) because you gave them to me you've already provided them for me i can rest that in my future however far that is My Father has already provided for everything I need and a whole bunch of stuff I want. (laughs) So verse 3 tells us that our faith, our confidence in God employs our patience. But then verse 4 tells us what patience accomplishes. Keeping ourselves in the place of cheerfully continuing to believe and trust God has an effect on us. (laughs) Patience works on us not just in us the word perfect here has several different interpretations it can mean complete completeness or maturity to be full of full age so let's insert these meanings into verse four let patience have her complete effect that ye may be mature and entire wanting nothing you see we are already perfect (laughs) in our spirit, man. We're one spirit with Jesus and Jesus is perfect. We can't be anything less than what he is in our spirit. Our soul, however, (laughs) can have a lot of junk in there. (laughs) And one of the things that being patient does is it helps us to mature in what we believe. This reminds me of Abraham's test. Why did God wait until Isaac was about 33 years old to tell Abraham to sacrifice him on an altar? Why not sacrifice him when he was two? I think one of the reasons, there's lots. There's all kinds of types and shadows. But I think one of the reasons was that Abraham would not have been ready for that particular test. He was still in the business of lying to kings. <laughs> he had not matured lying to kings as a way to try to protect yourself not trusting yourself into the hands of God. Okay. So Abraham hadn't matured yet. (laughs) You see, we are perfect in our spirit. That doesn't mean we're mature in our soul. (laughs) Sometimes in our soul, we want to have a temper (laughs) tantrum or a pity party. That's our soul. Our spirit man is perfect. But God has to mature us. This maturity takes place in our soul, not in our spirit. Our spirit man, if a three-year-old accepts Jesus Christ, her spirit is one spirit with Jesus. She is perfect. She has all the rights of a full-grown adult son of God. She can lay hands on the sick. She can work miracles if she knows what it's about. She can do anything Jesus can do. She's perfect in her spirit. Her body, however, is not mature. Her understanding, however, is not mature. So that's where we fall into diverse temptations because God is using them as an opportunity to mature us in our understanding. See, God doesn't have to bring us tests. We have enough. (laughs) The world provides us enough tests. He doesn't have to give us a temptation or a trial to try to teach us things. He knows those things are here (laughs) and that he'll just take advantage of them and mature us. Over the course of many years, Abraham grew in his understanding of who and what God was really like because he didn't know. He had matured in his faith and in his confidence in God. He completely trusted God's word because he completely trusted God's character. God had proved himself faithful and nothing but faithful. That's our father. And because Abraham grew in his understanding of what God is really like. He learned to trust God, even in the waiting. (laughs) Nobody likes waiting. It employs our patience. (laughs) We want everything to be instant, but God has to work through our soul. You see, if we didn't have all this stuff in our head, (laughs) God could work through us a whole lot easier. But it's this lack of maturity, lack of understanding, wrong information that gets in the way of Jesus living through us. He has to get our cooperation. God told Abraham that he would have a son, but it was 25 years before the son of promise would be born. And during that time, Abraham had to keep believing (laughs) in order to apprehend his promise. But it was God himself who persuaded his heart that the promise was sure and worth the wait. Worth the wait. When you finally get that baby, (laughs) by month eight, you're going, when Jesus, when? (laughs) Get this baby out. When it finally comes out, it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. God's promises are always worth the wait. Part of the persuasion process with Abraham, Abraham was believing in his new identity. That was part of his persuasion. Remember, God changed his name. So he had to go around saying, hi, I'm a father of a multitude. (laughs) Even though I don't have any kids. (laughs) That's pretty silly. (laughs) Why? Because God was changing his identity. He had to know who God really was and he had to understand who he really was. So part of that, persuading of his heart, was changing his identity, how he saw himself based on what God said, not based on what his body said. Our bodies talk a lot, (laughs) and they're usually wrong. (laughs) Abraham believed that he was what God said he was, not what his body told him, not what his wife told him. Not what the world would tell him. He put his trust in only what God said. It's so easy for us to consult, to get a word from God and then consult every prophet we can find. (laughs) Do you say the same thing as God? (laughs) We don't need that. (laughs) God will confirm his word to us. And that's why he does. He loves to repeat himself. He will give you the same promise over and over and over and over and over. And you're like... (laughs) (laughs) he's like, it's still true. It's still working. You still have to keep believing. (laughs) We see this truth with Abraham in Hebrews chapter six, beginning with verse 12. So that you may not be sluggish. Some translations say lazy. I didn't really care for that. I didn't think that was a good (laughs) understanding. But this particular translation uses the term half-hearted. I love that because it's easy. To be half-hearted sometimes. To be, oh, I know the truth. (laughs) That you be not sluggish or half-hearted, but imitators of those who through faith and patience, we don't like the patience part. Through faith and patience, inherit the promises. We inherit by grace all the promises of God, but we obtain these promises by faith. By simply believing and continuing to believe (laughs) that what God says is true. We look only to what our Father says to us. Verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited continuing steadfastly, apprehended, (laughs) received that promise of a son. When we believe in our new identity as both a son and a bondservant of God, we understand that we can trust God as both a father and a master because both have taken responsibility to take care of us for our entire life, even into eternity. I think sometimes it's easy to forget who you belong to. Because we're adults (laughs) and there are things that we have to do to take care of things, I think it's easy for us to forget that our Father is still involved. That He hasn't somehow left us. He hasn't somehow forgotten. That He didn't listen to our prayer when we prayed. None of that is true. But it's easy for believers to feel that way. Why isn't this working yet? (laughs) Why do I gotta wait? (laughs) Why can't I have it now? (laughs) Does that sound mature? (laughs) And it's really because God has to orchestrate the entire world without forcing them to do anything. I imagine that's not as easy as we might think. god has taken responsibility for us to provide for us to bless us to help us to strengthen us to work out his will his good will in and through our lives when our heart is persuaded of god's faithfulness to us and we know our promise or answer is sure it's a done deal when we know that we know We can choose to wait cheerfully (laughs) as we continue to mature in our faith. A mature person has learned by experience. God protects us a lot. We don't even know the stuff he's protected us from, (laughs) which is a good thing. (laughs) When we trust God, we start with the little things. (laughs) I remember when God gave me the tithing test way back when. It's easy to tithe when you have nothing. (laughs) I did that really good. (laughs) But he began talking to me about exercising my faith. Okay, Because faith says, I trust you. If he gives me $10 and says, I want five, you're like, oh, pouty lips. (laughs) Half? (laughs) You want half, God? <laughs> He's like, what are you gonna do with ten dollars? I don't know. <laughs> Something. See, I needed a coat when this little conversation took place. You're not gonna buy a coat for ten dollars. I gave him the five. A distant family member shows up with a brand new wool coat and guy says, Can you get a wool coat for five bucks? <laughs> No. (laughs) You see, that's what giving is about. It's a little test that says, do you trust me to take care of you? Do you trust me? Do you trust me when you give this money? Because you're giving it to him. It's an act of faith. I trust you. I can't even meet my own need. So if you ask for five, okay, I'll give it to you. Did I have lots of faith? Did I know how he was going to answer that? No. I trusted his character. I wasn't believing hard for something. I trusted his character. So God gives us those little tests. Give at church. Take a meal to the neighbor. Buy a toy for a child. And you're like, you know, I only have so much money here, God. (laughs) But when we trust his voice, there's always a reward. See, God's rewards aren't based on how good we are based on how good He is. And He rewards our faith. He wants us to be able to trust Him in every situation. And money is one of the big ones. We are not under the law of tithing. But it can be an opportunity (laughs) for us to see our Father's hand at work in our lives. Because He will show off. I promise you, He will show off. An immature believer is one who believes the lie that waiting for the promise to come to pass is just way too hard or that it's just taking way too long. (laughs) And it's not going to be worth it. Often, like a little kid, they can get mad at God and throw themselves a nice little temper tantrum or a pity party only to find out that their little outburst neither accomplished or changed anything. Most of us have been there at one time or another. Before I understood grace, I always thought bad things happening, it was God punishing me. <laughs> when you think every bad thing that comes along is God snacking you around, that's a hard person to trust. <laughs> God doesn't smack around his kids because he treats us like adults, not like small children. So he will give us opportunities to use our faith. He will step out and say, why don't you give a word? Like Michelle gave a word of encouragement. Okay, that takes faith because you only know a little bit when you get up to say something. (laughs) You have to go, okay, Lord, what is it you want to say? And as you begin, he begins to fill in. That's how he works. You have to believe. Okay, I believe you're telling me to talk. Here I go. (laughs) Here I go. (laughs) And as you step out, he gives you more and more of what he wants you to say. It's that way with preaching too. Because a lot of this is not even in here. You see, I remember being mad at God when things didn't happen the way I thought they should. When I didn't understand, Satan may hinder one way, but that never stops God. I remember when my daughter, Sarah, found out she couldn't have children. We believed for years for a miracle for her to have children. So then she started to foster to adopt because God said, foster to adopt. And she's like, no, I don't want to. (gasps) She did it anyway. She got her baby, Mila, in six weeks. (laughs) You can't have a baby that fast. (laughs) All on your own. It doesn't matter if Satan tries to thwart God's plan for your life. God will get what belongs to you to you. Keep believing. When we do get into those places, we're mad and we don't know why things aren't going the way we want them to, and God doesn't leave us there. What I love is that when things don't work out the way we think they should or the way we think they ought to, it can be in our flesh very easy to get disappointed, to fall into despair. When things don't work, even great sorrow. But God never leaves us there. He doesn't shake his finger and say, you should know better. (laughs) even though we probably should. (laughs) He never scolds us when we're hurting. Never. Even if we've had a temper tantrum, even if if we've been in a pity party for a week, (laughs) He comes to us. He is the Father who is the God of all comfort. And God and Jesus know that life as a human being even a God-filled human being can be hard. There are hard things that we often have to deal with, things that hurt us, and he doesn't scold us because of our human emotions. He knows <laughs> we just need to hear him again. So instead of scolding us or punishing us, he tells us not to give up, that he's a good, good father. And he picks us up and he dries our eyes and he assures our hearts that nothing is impossible with God. Mila's name is Mila because it means miracle. That's a miracle baby. God didn't leave Sarah when every pregnancy test was negative. He understood her pain and sorrow. So when sometimes when things aren't working right... (laughs) God knows how much it can hurt. But he doesn't leave us there. You see, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. So when we've fallen in a place where we can't see, from God's point of view, our high place of faith, God is the one himself who comes and picks us up and, and brushes us off and tells us it's going to be okay. And he places us right back up where we can see just how wonderful he really is and that he is involved, he is working and he will bring what we desire, the petitions we've asked of him to us even if Satan has hindered before. Our hearts can choose to believe again and to continue to believe in the cheerfulness of faith. Let's look at verse 4 again with our ultimate <laughs> translations. But let patience have her complete effect, that ye, and that's a plural ye, that all 'all, (laughs) y'all, that all y'all be mature and entire, complete in every area of your life, including your physical body. That's what that word means. That's a good word. (laughs) That you be complete in every area of your life, including your physical body, wanting nothing, wanting can be interpreted also as failing leaving or lacking so failing none leaving none lacking none so with faith and patience we do not have to lack anything we can cheerfully persevere in faith and receive what god has promised with faith and patience we don't have to leave or let go of what god has promised even if we find that satan is currently hindering with certain external circumstances and with faith and patience, we don't have to fail any test that comes our way, any opportunity to use our faith. We don't have to pass it by, (laughs) faith and patience. When we find ourselves surrounded by negativity and the unbelief of this world, we need to remember that God is not the author of these external pressures. He's not the author of hindering circumstances, but He has equipped us with our new identities as sons and bondservants of God, so that we know we can trust Him to take care of us and to lead us through every storm and trial victoriously. James continues in verse five to tell the believers that if they feel like they lack wisdom in this, living this life of faith, they can ask God for it, and He'll be happy to give it to them. Which is funny, because he says, I want you to lack nothing. But if you do feel like you lack wisdom on how to do this, ask God, just like the other promise, he's happy to give it to you. God does not withhold anything we need. I'm trying to not use all of the verses. (laughs) So we're gonna skip over then to uh, verse six. Verses six through eight, James picks up again with the back and forth that often happens with believers when they're believing God for something, even if it is just wisdom. I can't tell you how often I have asked God. I put my order in. You can put your order in. God, I need this. I need to know how to do that. God, I need this. He has a way of orchestrating stuff that it comes to you. (laughs) You don't have to lack anything. God has a way to make a way. Verse 6, but he says, let him ask in faith. If we're going, oh, did you hear me? Did you not hear me? Am I going to get this wisdom? Am I not going to get this wisdom? He says, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. What the wind is to the sea, divers temptations can be to us. (laughs) It's the external pressures that come and try to stir up fear, doubt, and unbelief. It's the things we see, the things we hear, and the things we feel because of outside pressures. That can become more real to us than the truth of what God has already said. Verse seven. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Why? (laughs) It's not because God hasn't given it or granted it to us, but because of what we choose to be persuaded by. Like the disciples sitting in a boat full of water in the middle of a storm, they let the natural realm persuade their hearts to fear. But eventually, they called on Jesus, and Jesus persuaded their hearts to believe and trust in Him. This is always what we need when we're wavering. A word from Jesus. (laughs) He will tell you again. When I came into the message of grace, it felt slippery. (laughs) I thought I got it, but then I'd read something in the Bible, like, what about this? It's like I couldn't hang on to it. It was slippery. But he would tell me again he would assure my heart again you see it's easy for us to fall into are you listening jesus (laughs) are you working jesus tell me again why because a word from god will put your heart at rest when we hear the word of god it brings faith when we hear god talk to us it brings peace also the word receive here is the greek word glambano and it means to receive by taking. <laughs> it means to take hold of something and possess it. <laughs> and it infers that we don't let go of it. <laughs> we take the promise by believing it's already ours, by inheritance, and not because we earned it. This is one of those things God showed me after I received my healing for fibromyalgia. He showed me, you got it, but then you kept talking yourself out of it till you got back to your house. <laughs> you kept letting go. You really did have it, but you kept letting go. It's real easy to go, I don't feel any different. I must not have received. Not true. If you ask, God gives. It's granted. It belongs to you. You can bank on it. But we don't always think that way. We want to check our body. (laughs) See if God did what God said he would do. (laughs) So we have to command and lead our thoughts. In other words, to count it all joy, into the truth of who we really are and what really belongs to us by inheritance. Number eight, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded person is someone who totters back and forth from the natural carnal thinking to spiritual thinking. God heard me. Did he? (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) That's what happens to all of us. We always have two sources from which to pull from, the flesh and the spirit. And these two sources are at odds with each other. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, always wants what's good for us. And the flesh <laughs> mostly wants what's bad for us. <laughs> Pizza, ice cream, etc. <laughs> we can see this in Galatians 5, 17. This is the TS 2000 version. It says this, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you do not do what you desire to do. I like this translation (laughs) because we can clearly see what he says is our real desire. He said, yes, your physical flesh, your natural thinking is contrary to what God says is true. But we, in our spirit, what do we want to do? Follow God. Make God happy. Do that which pleases him. That's the real us. is flesh though. (laughs) It can hinder us. (laughs) So I like this because it shows you that it's not about you cannot do. Some versions say that. So that you cannot do what you want to do. Ah, No. The truth is we can always do what we want to do if we understand it. We have to know the truth about our true identity. Who am I? I am one spirit with Jesus Christ. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all live in here. I am their responsibility. They take care of me and lead me in, into all truth. You see, the real us, the spiritual us, the one that is one spirit with God, that us, the real us, wants to please God and our Master by living out of our spirit instead of out of our flesh head. I have a picture for you. <laughs> I was telling the Lord that this sermon sounded a little dry. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't want people to get bored because they know these things and stuff. And all of a sudden, it gives me this term, fleshhead. <laughs> you see, there's a real us with the mind of Christ and all the power of God himself. And then there's this flesh head. (laughs) This flesh head can be very hindering. (laughs) This picture, I have to explain it to the people who can't see it, is of a head (laughs) that looks like it's made of a pate with some kind of sauce running down the side of one face to make it look like it's decaying. (laughs) And it's seated on a platter of lettuce and garnished with tomatoes and mushrooms. It's probably something someone made for Halloween. (laughs) But when you type in flesh head into Google, this is what you get. I liked it because it is a great picture of our biggest enemy, our flesh head. (laughs) Yes, Satan is a booger head, I don't have a picture of that. (laughs) You can just use your own imagination, yes, he's a booger head. Uh, He can throw flaming arrows into our mind, but we can usually recognize those pretty easily and cast them down. Flesh head thoughts, though, aren't always so obvious. They sound like us, just like God does and often even sound like truth. But they're actually lies, half-truths, and misinformation. Flesh-head thinking includes bad pictures of God, Jesus, others, and ourselves in particular. Flesh-head thoughts sound like failure, defeat, anger, shame, guilt, and condemnation. Thoughts like, I'll never be free from this habit. I don't deserve for God to forgive me. Why am I so stupid? (laughs) Why can't I get control of this drinking? Why can't I get control of this eating or this spending or this cutting? Everyone might be better off if I just died. Why doesn't God ever do anything good for me? Why can't life just be easy? If anyone knew what I was really like, no one would love me. Why can't I be like her, or him, or them? Why does everything have to be so hard? These flesh head thoughts come from not really knowing and believing the truth about who we are in Christ. Knowing our true identity as dearly loved sons and adopted bond servants is the only thing that can overcome this kind of thinking. Flesh head, or natural carnal thinking, includes thoughts produced by our brain. Our brain is not always on our side. (laughs) Our brain likes to keep us happy and alive, at least in the short term. (laughs) So our brain will produce thoughts in an effort to keep us both happy and alive, currently. So our brain will tell us when and what to eat, even if the real us wants to stay on our diet. (laughs) It will tell us what to drink what to smoke, what to buy, when to sleep, when to not sleep, when to seek physical intimacy, and when and how to scratch every single itch we may have. It will go so far as to suggest lying, hiding, stealing, killing, hating, and every other kind of evil. That's because the mind of the flesh is completely self-focused, selfish, prideful, and condemning. Your own brain will condemn you. (laughs) And all of it comes from bad programming. Flesh head is bad programming. It comes from not knowing and experiencing the truth of who God has made us, of who God is as our father, as who Jesus is, as our master and our husband, and not understanding who they have made us to be. Too much of the church is still blind to their real identity. They think God is far away in heaven when really he sits on the throne of our heart. They don't really know their Father God, their Lord Jesus, and and the indwelling power, miracle-working power of the Holy Spirit. They are still trying to answer the cry of their soul with things of this world. The things of this world will only lead to addiction, bondage, defeat, and destruction. Everything our hearts long for is found in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I liked the picture of this <laughs> flesh head <laughs> because it's made to look like it's deteriorating and dissolving away. And that's the reality of what is actually happening to the mind of the flesh. The truth of God is ripping out all that old thinking and believing and replacing all the bad pictures of God and the really bad pictures of ourselves with beautiful pictures of us in our new creation identity as dearly loved sons and adopted bond servants. We are not two different people on the inside. There is not a good Valerie and a bad Valerie. (laughs) There is Valerie who was one in Christ Jesus, and she has a flesh head. (laughs) But there is not two of me. I am not arguing with myself. The real me wants to follow Christ every minute of every day, and it is the stupid flesh head that gets in my way and hinders me. But it is the truth of who God is in his word. The reality of God embracing us and being up close and personal with us by speaking to us and leading us and guiding us and empowering us, that causes the flesh head to get less and less. (laughs) So that when Satan comes along and when my flesh comes along and says, you're no good, who do you think you are preaching the gospel? Don't you know you're a woman? (laughs) <laughs> yes, I do, but I'm still a son of God, <laughs> and I can do all things through Christ. <laughs> the old one that used to live in here has died, but he left all of his bad programming. <laughs> But my new identity is new and holy and righteous and pure and beautiful and godly and talented and gifted and strong and patient. Yes, patient and joyful and loving and glorious and rich and healthy and free and faithful because that is who God has made me to be. He has fully equipped me to rule and reign on earth through the abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness, and the one man, Christ Jesus, who is in me and with me all the days of my life. He has called us to tell the world they can have a new identity because if we know our identity we can patiently wait for the answers to prayer if i know the truth of my identity i can have joy in the midst of turmoil if i know my identity and what i'm actually capable of i can overcome all the temptations of my flesh (laughs) head but only if i know the truth amen Father God, I thank you for the word of your truth. And I thank you, Father God, that you're funny. (laughs) I thank you that you talk to us like we talk to ourselves. We thank you, Father God, that you are the great orchestrator, that even if Satan does hinder us too bad for him, you're going to make a way where we don't even see a way. We thank you, Father God, that you do answer the cry of our heart. We thank you, Father God, that you heal our sorrows. You provide our every need. And we can trust you in the midst of every storm that we are not drowning. We are going to the other side and we are going to glorify Jesus Christ in our life. Amen.